1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Do all to the glory of God. That goes for worship and singing too. When I, when I say worship, it can be sometimes confusing in churches because you hear pastor of worship and they think, oh, that just means singing. But we recognize, and I think everybody in here understands, that worship is so much more than that, that you can worship in all things, whether you eat, whether you drink, everything you do, you can worship the Lord. And it's vital to our growth as believers to understand what that looks like, what worship looks like. And in Colossians 3, we're going to see that. Worship is when you or I give worth to something. So we do that in so many different ways and really in every area of our life. You're always worshiping something with your life, right? Everything you do, eating, drinking, singing, it's all done for a reason. Listen to Warren Wearsby when he says, we aren't worthy of worship. That's kind of a downer, right? And certainly the idols that we make are not worthy. I feel a little bit better about that one. Only God is worthy of our worship. What people worship is a good indication of what is really valuable to them. What you worship shows what you think is really valuable. And I want to ask you, do you, what do you, who do you worship? When you go about your day, when you go about your time, let's just even think about today, this morning, when you came to church, when you started seeing people, who were you worshiping? Were you worshiping yourself as you looked at the mirror, right? It's, it's hard, right? I'm not saying this is easy. This is, this is the reason why we have to be instructed in it. But who do you worship? Who do you make most of? Who do you show value to? Who do you show worth to? Our goal today, let's look at Colossians 3. Shia already read 3, 1 through 11. But we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 as a church and see what God calls us to in our worship. My first encouragement to you today, and this is on your, your outline, is that if you are a true believer in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ for salvation, if he's your Lord and Savior, then you are a true worshiper of God. That's what you signed up for. If you are a true believer in Christ, then you are a true worshiper of God. So let's look at three, chapter 3, verse 1. We've already read it. And when we read this, I want you to look at the first four verses and listen to Paul's emphasis. He does this a lot, but he's going to emphasize who we are. Okay, so let's look at this. I think it's up on the screen too. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So there you have it right there. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's who you are if you're a believer. He's saying this to the Colossians, obviously, but we can apply this directly to us today. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That sounds like worship, right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. That's you. You haven't just been raised. You died and your life is hidden with Christ. What did you die to? You died to sin. You died to death. You died to your flesh, and you're, you're fighting your flesh, as we're going to see. But you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Look at verse 4, when Christ, who is your life. Do you feel like he's trying to hit home something here? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're going to partake in that glory. So we see this, there's this theme that, that Paul set up, right? If you are a believer, life 
your life is united with Christ. You find your life in Christ, and he finds his in you. Your identity in everything, in your relationships, your securities, the way that you talk to people, the way that you handle money, the way that you handle your Uh, relationships in your family, the way that you talk to your spouse, the way that you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your grandparents, the way you talk to your friends, the way you interact with everybody, is Christ in all of those things? Is he at the center? If you are a believer, he may be a little bit or he may be a lot, but that's where he belongs because you're a worshiper of him. John 4, 23 through 24, Jesus explained to the woman at the well that the time had come that God was seeking true worshipers of him. This is important for us to understand. The hour is coming and is now here. So Jesus is announcing, this is, this is what's going on right now, as the Father has sent me, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Christ was on this mission from God to seek out those worshipers, to save them. That's why he was there. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We're going to look at that more in just a little bit. But Christ came on a mission from the Father to seek and save the lost for the purpose of worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. So the theme has been set in chapter 3. Paul's saying, this is who you are. Understand, believer, your life is united with Christ. And here's here's the reason, okay? So we're going to keep going. Look at at verses 5 through 11. Again, Shia read this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, okay? So he's, he's even saying, hey, this, this, is, this is the old you, okay? So you're going to continue fighting these things, but what was in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. When you pursue those things, you put those things before God. You're not putting Christ first, you're putting yourself. That's the, that's the way the old self used to work. In these... Or verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." You're a new person in Christ. You have a new pathway. You have a new life of worship. Look at verse 11. Here, in this new life, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. He's our identity. So, Paul wanted the Colossians to understand this, but we need to understand this today too. Christ is all and in all. Social status does not matter. Students, what school you go to does not matter. What family name you have, it does not matter in comparison to who Christ is. He is your life. He is our life. When we come together We're even saying that with one another. We are a body of believers. We are a family of believers here to worship together in the name of Christ. And then look at verse 12. This is going to be our passage. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy 
and beloved. We're going to keep going, but it's like he's giving you one, one more jab, and it's kind of from, from God's perspective. You're holy, you're chosen, you are loved. It, it, it reminds us of Ephesians 1. I think it comes up on, on the screen, but believers in Christ, you were chosen to set apart. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. He chose us for this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see that? We're going we're gonna to get to it later, but this is what it's for. This is why you've been chosen. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You're chosen. You're, you are holy. What does holy mean? Does it, is there a kid in here that can tell me what holy means? Just yell it out. What does it, what does it mean? Set apart. You have been set apart for God, by God. You're different. We are different. We're not supposed to be of the world. We are set apart. We are holy. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's people in this room who either are chosen and they don't know it yet, or they're not chosen, and they hear you singing these songs, and you are witnessing to them about Christ, about his excellencies. You're showing him or her, you're showing them what Christ has done in your life. You're proclaiming those excellencies when you sing. We're going to talk about that more. I keep saying we're going to talk about that more. I promise we're going to talk about more. Don't worry, I'm going to keep talking, so it's okay. Um, but the last point here in this, in this first section is that you are loved. The word here represents that the, the love word is, it's the, same, it's the same word that's used to describe God's compassion for us when he saved us. You are loved. How, like, think about that. How amazing is it that you are loved by your creator? That he sent his son to save you. That is, that is an excellency to proclaim to one another. You are loved. Believer in Christ, j- just as Paul was reminding the Colossians, God wants you to remember who you are in Christ. And that's how we're going to start off our time. Why he called you out of darkness. Your life is his, and he is your life. Continue to put to death the old ways, but gear up because God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, you have been called to so much more. You were called to worship and to worship God. So the first, uh, the first thing that we're going to see, we've already got that first point in your bulletin, but the next thing we see is that God has called us to worship through the fruit of the Spirit. I have, um, <laughs> as, as, as we grow up, and, and I want you to think of, some, think of somebody in your life that has had an immense amount of patience with you, uh, especially in maybe those teen years. Um, when I think of that person, you can probably think of that person, hopefully a smile comes to your face. It's the person that watched you do probably the dumbest things that you've ever done and still love you through those things. 
Um, I think of my youth pastor, uh, Kevin Bosler. He's, he's a dear friend of mine, and he watched me since sixth grade up until now um, do many, many dumb things and still have patience with me and show me the fruit of the Spirit. One story in particular that I think of is I was just uh, out of high school, and I was going to be a counselor at our junior high camp. And so I had come back, and me and, a, and another friend were the counselors, and they had guys' cabins, and they had girls' cabins. And um, the girls, there was a couple girls' cabins, and they faced each other. And the doors to these cabins opened inward, okay? So, the, so they're facing each other, which I, I think is totally against code which we've been talking about as a staff. But the doors open inward, right? And so me and my friend thought, hey, we'll pull a prank on the girls. We'll tie a string between the doors. And when they wake up in the morning, you know, they won't be able to get out and it'll be really funny. What I haven't told you is that earlier that day, there were some inmates from a correctional facility that had uh, come up to clear some brush up in the area. They weren't really like in the camp, but they were close enough to where one of the mom counselors could see those inmates. And so she was a little bit worried, but nothing really came of it. It was no big deal. But when we went to go do our prank in the middle of the night, we had beanies on, and we were kind of sneaking around. And so, and of course, the mom was up, and she saw these shadowy figures, and she started freaking out to the point where she was crying. She's waking up all the girls and panicking. Like, there's just a lot of panic going on, a lot of crying, and rightly so, because we were sneaking around. They start crying. They start trying to open the door, and the rope is connected. So they, they, they woke up the other cabin. Well, the other cabin's like, what is going on? They start crying. So we've got two full girl cabins crying, moms and all, right? So everybody's crying, and it's just like me. You know, I'm like 18 years old, and this other guy, we're like, what do we do? And so we cut the rope, and we... We try to go in and try to console the, the moms first. You know, we're like, it's okay, it's okay. And it was, it was horrible. It's one of the worst things that I've ever done. Um, and everybody gets calmed down and it's great. And I remember walking out, and it was the middle of the night, walk out, and Kevin, my youth pastor, his cabin was right above. It was kind of like above all of the other cabins. And he was out on the deck, and he was just standing there in silence. And, I, and it felt like he had been watching the whole time. And, and I just remember him standing there. He's, just, he's, a, he's a giant guy. He's bald. He's, just, he's a tough German-looking dude because he's German, Kevin Bozer. So he's, he's standing there, and he, and he just goes, it's late. Go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, you're going to let me sleep on this thing? We don't get to like. And so I, had, I didn't sleep that night. And then when we woke up in the morning, you know, obviously had to walk through why that was a, a bad decision, why it was unwise. But I think about Kevin over and over again. He showed that kind of patience, right? I mean, he could have laid into me that night. He could have yelled at me, and it would have been appropriate, right? I mean, everybody would have, would have been like, yeah, you, you guys made a, a, a big mess. But Kevin knew me. Kevin knew that other student, and he walked with us. He had patience with us. He showed us love. He showed us kindness over and over and over again. So shout out to our youth pastor who has to deal with junior hires and college kids and everybody in between. Appreciate you, Shay. But when you live the old earthly way, you live for earthly things. You're not living for the, the kindness and patience. Look at, look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So he's telling the Colossians this, but, but we need to hear this for us today. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Galatians 5 is real similar to this. It has the same, 
some of the same words, some of the same tones, right? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. There's even that idea, right, of putting away the, the old with its passions and desires. Are you known, am I known, to have compassion, or are you just cold with people? Like, do you actually work at it? When you guys come to church, are you trying to be compassionate with one another? Or are you like, no, nah, we, got, we got stuff we got to do. We're going to come in, do our thing, come out. Are you kind or are you harsh? This one's big for me, being a dad. I have to watch this all the time. Am I harsh or am I kind? Are you humble or are you proud? Are you meek or are you a loudmouth? Are you patient or are you short-fused? We worship God through the fruit of the Spirit. And believers, Paul is calling us to put those things on in our life, in our life of worship. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. But keep going. Look at verse 13. We're going to see here, because you are forgiven, that you need to forgive and reconcile one another. Bearing with one another. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Why? Because of who you are. Look at it. As the Lord has forgiven you, you are forgiven, so you also must forgive. Does that, does that description describe your life? One of the reasons why we do communion, one of the, the benefits of God designing communion for the church, for the local church, it gives us an opportunity to make things right with one another. So when we come to communion, we, we talk about this a lot, that we do it two times a month usually, and it's a time for us, if there's something going on within our church body, go find that person and make it right before you partake. Like, I, I just want you to know, that literally means go find that person, take them out, talk to them, either forgive them or reconcile with them, ask for forgiveness, make it right, and then come back in and take communion. That's, that's one of the benefits of it. Because you, you can't remember Christ and what he's done, how he's forgiven you. You can't respond to that in thankfulness and, and be holding something against a brother or be held under condemnation, right? Go to those people. We are brothers and sisters, and one of the things that we are to do is to forgive one another. That's how we worship. Keep going. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It doesn't, just bind, it doesn't just bind these things that we've talked about, right? It doesn't bind compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those things are definitely bound in love, but it binds us in love. If a stranger comes in here, do they recognize that this church family loves one another, that they worship through how they love one another? 1 Corinthians 13, you, you've heard it before, but again, anything you do, any worship you give in your life is worthless without love, right? Let's, I'm going to read this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I'm, if I'm this divine, amazing, powerful person but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Your sacrifice of your life is worthless if it's not in love. Love is patient. We've heard that. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. This this is all old self stuff, right? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. So love bears all things, like one another's sin, one another's burdens. Love bears all things. It believes all things, right? It, it, it believes the best about people. You, you, you go to people, and, and if, there is, if there's something that you're hearing through gossip, you're not going to believe that until you go to the person and you talk to the person because that is love. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Do you pursue love or do you pursue to be right? Hey, Bible church, right? I mean, we believe in, look at this pulpit. Look at this thing. I mean, we take this seriously, and rightly so. But are we taking it seriously to just be right and to argue? Or do we take this seriously because this shows us how to love, that this shows us who our God is? Thankfully, I, I, don't you love Scott? I mean, don't you, don't you love the men that preach? They, they live out love. They live out what they preach because they love God. Do we love? Look at verse 15. When you, when you put on the fruit of the Spirit, it lets the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and it lets the peace of Christ rule in our church. Verse 15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When it says and, it's, this is what's going to happen when you are putting on these things to which indeed you were called in one body. And it says, and be thankful. Right? We, this is all not from us. This is something to be thankful for. In a, in a world, think about how horrible this world is and the fact that we get to come to a place and be unified in love. We have to be thankful people to God. Thankfulness and peace, they really go hand in hand, especially in Christian worship. Look at verse 15 again. It says, be thankful. R. Kent Hughes says, literally, it says, become thankful because we are to keep on searching for a deeper gratitude than we have yet attained. I love that. You, you need to be figuring out ways because they're out there and you just don't know it. You need to be figuring out ways that you can be more thankful. And yet we tend as people, as sinners, to grumble about everything. That's going to be our tendency, right? But God calls us to be thankful. It's an, it's an act of worship. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. That means you're coming before the Lord. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, you see that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's hard to pursue the old ways of, of living when you're thankful, when you have peace ruling your hearts. When you, when you recognize who you are in Christ, you're not going to go back to malice. You're not going to go back to anger. You're not going to go back to, to being harsh with one another. You're going to be thankful. You're going to have peace with others. As believers, we worship God when we put on the fruit of the Spirit. So we've kind of seen who we are, and now let's see how we're actually called to worship, okay? And it's actually going to get into singing. So there's, this is going to be worship through song. But we are called to worship in spirit and in truth. That's the next point on your bulletin. I have a friend named Adam. He's a, he's a pastor. And when I've, I've told some of this to you, but, um, or I've told this to some of you. Um, but when Adam was a kid, he grew up in a church that um, was, uh, they taught that you you would speak in tongues out loud. And what that meant in this church is that you would say things that really didn't make any sense to anybody, but you just repeat it over and over and over again, and it would somehow stir up the Holy Spirit, that that was either evidence or that was a help, helping means to fill up the Holy Spirit in your life. And as a kid, he's like, well, I don't, what am I supposed to say? So he had a friend that said, hey, you just say, tie my yellow bow tie. Tie my yellow bow tie, tie my yellow bow tie, tie my yellow, and just keep saying it over and over and over again until it does something. And he's like, I, when I was a kid, I just, I went to church and I'd close my eyes and say, tie my yellow bow tie, and nothing ever really happened, but that's, apparently that was what they thought was uh, the spirit working in that church. It is super important for us to know what worship looks like, specifically through music in the church, right? But even through something like speaking in tongues, that's not speaking in tongues when we look at the Bible. There's much confusion of what worshiping in spirit and truth actually means. And today we can see that spirit and truth they actually go hand in hand. So when you say, tie my yellow bow tie, there's no gospel truth in that statement. That's not going hand in hand with the Spirit. That's just nonsense. Spirit and truth go hand in hand in worship and have a specific outcome through singing with the gathered church. So first, we need to know that we worship in truth, okay? This, this section, look at verse 16. It highlights this, right? It says, let the word of Christ, okay, so again, Think about who we are. Think about putting on the spirit we're worshiping. And then look at what happens. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The, the word of Christ here when Paul wrote it, it really meant teachings about Christ or even teachings from Christ. This was what, whatever they had that Christ had either done or they had heard Christ do, that's what they were supposed to dwell on, right? What did Christ teach? Christ taught... From the Old Testament, he taught about his father. Christ showed how the Old Testament pointed to him, that he was the true Messiah. These are the truths that they were to dwell on and that we, likewise, are to dwell on. Today, we have the full counsel. We have God's word. For us today, this is the word of Christ. And this is supposed to dwell in us richly. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. So I'm going to do some worship uh, pastor um, kind of talk here and, just, and, and show you why we do some of the things that we do. But our first priority when we sing songs, 
uh, and specifically through the songs that we sing, is that those songs are built on biblical truth. That's, that's number one. So, so our, when we're looking at songs, when, when you guys send me songs, which I love, send me stuff, when we talk about it with the elders, talk about it with the staff, when we talk about it with Bible studies, we want to know, are those songs built on biblical truth? And, and not necessarily most popular, right? Um, not what makes us feel like the most. Like sometimes I, you know, people are like, I, I love this. I just, when I hear this song, I love this song. And, and the truth is, is that the, the words of that song are horrible, but the music is amazing in that, in that song. And you have to give it to the musicians who wrote it. It really is a fabulous song that moves emotions well, but it's not pointing to truth at all. I'd love to do a song that, that moves music well, but if it's not connected to truth, we're not going to do it. The second priority is that we do want to have singable songs. And so we do try to find songs that are singable, but... They have to be singing truth. If we truly let the word of Christ dwell in us, the, the, the emotion, right, the, the music mixed with moving our hearts, it, it's going to happen. As you focus on truth, you should emote. It should happen. And hopefully the music helps that. But the first priority is not the emotion. Our goal here is to not make you all emote as most, the, the most possible. If you do, praise God if it's rooted in truth. But if it's not rooted in truth, then we're doing something wrong. So how do you respond? And this is just a little challenge for us, this is for me. How do you respond when you hear the word of Christ? When you sing a song like Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery that, that walks through the mystery of why Christ came to save us and how he came to save us. Are you moved by that? Or are you like, I don't, I, this song, it's okay. It's just not my favorite song. You just made your preference more important than the truth that you're supposed to be dwelling on. I, I recognize there's preferences, right? I mean, think about the musical preferences that are represented in your row in this church. And we, we're not going to be able to do every preference of music, but we're going to be able to pick songs that are rooted in truth. I have uh, a friend and another friend, they're both elders at the, at the same church that we came from, and they worshipped in music, they worshipped in song so differently. So I'd be leading worship, and one guy would be over here, and he would just, hands are raised, eyes are closed, he's crying, Every t- I mean, you could tell, and you could tell what lines, like, of the song, like, anything that said, you know, that Christ died for me, it's just like, he just, he'd tear up, and you're just like, that's encouraging. I see him responding. And there was another guy, he was, a, he was an older gentleman, both elders at our church, and he would just be like this the whole time. And I had been there for a few years, and I went and talked to the older guy, because I'm like, man, I see this guy, he's worshiping, I see it, it's happening, right? Like, something's actually going on. And I went over to my friend and I said, how come, how come when we worship, you, you just kind of do this or, you know, you kind of be on the chair and you just be kind of going like this? And he'd go, Blake, I, I love worshiping with our church. And every time I sing these songs, just the older I get, the more I'm impacted by the truth that we sing. And I can't help but just be grateful. And so it's like he, he is basically saying he almost breaks down every time he sings these songs. And guess what? His expression of worship and his expression of worship 
are totally appropriate as long as they're rooted to truth. When that truth affects your heart and you emote within the church, it's okay. Now, I would say this doesn't mean go crazy, right? Don't be a crazy distraction. I think that we just, we know that there are some limitations to that. And if anything, don't don't draw a ton of attention to yourself because we're not here to worship you. So it would be weird if somebody got, you know, if, if a kid got really excited about who God is and he started running around the church during the service, like that's probably not appropriate. But it's okay to raise your hands. It, it, it's okay to cheer a little bit. It's okay to, to, to clap. It's okay. I'm not saying we have to do that as a church. What I'm saying is, are you connecting with the truth? And are you responding? And, and you've heard this before. I, I, I try not to use cliche stuff, but it's the sports team thing. When you see something amazing happen on the sports field, you can't help but respond physically and audibly. Yes! Woo! God saved you from sin and death forever. That's what I, I did, like, and I, I'm not trying to make a lame moment or like a weird moment, but do you get, like, yes, and here's the great thing, that's why we sing, we want to, because we don't want to just be, get together and just go, woo, <laughs> it would just be, people would feel weird walking in if we were just doing that the whole time, so we put words up on the screen, and we sing together, and you need to sing, and I don't, it, nobody cares what you sound like, are you making a sound with your voice? Just sing. It's okay if you can't sing the best. It, it's okay if you sing the worst. Make a joyful noise, right? I want to challenge you. If you don't physically respond to the gospel and dwelling on the gospel, you're hindering the ministry, not, not just in your life. You're hindering the ministry in this church. Somebody may need to see you break down because they know what's going on in your life. And they, they see you respond in worship, even though you're going through the hardest trial in your life, that's going to affect somebody. Somebody's going to see that. And then, I know not everybody in here is a parent, but that's where it gets real personal, right? Moms, are you singing? Because your kids are watching you. I, I know that not everything is perfect at home, but when you get here, do they see you being real before the Lord? whether it's through your trial or through your joy. Dads, dads, let's go. Sing. And don't sing to sing. Don't sing because, oh, this is what my boy is supposed to do in life. Sing because you have actually dwelt on the fact that you have been saved. The commentator says, having the word of Christ richly dwell in us produces not only information, but also emotion. It generates psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5. This is kind of cool, but Ephesians 5 is kind of like this parallel passage to Colossians 3. And in Ephesians 5, we see this, it's the same, same statements, but there's a focus here on being filled with the Spirit. So it's not dwell on Christ, on the Word of Christ richly, it's be filled with the Spirit. And it's in the same tone of, don't, don't get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by a substance. Be, be controlled, be filled 
by the Spirit. Look at what it says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians says, word of Christ dwell in you richly, while Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit. Yet both lead to this action of singing, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another and to the Lord. In John 4, we see that, that God, God is spirit, okay? God is spirit. It says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We don't have, we don't have a physical representation of God with us right now that we can worship in person. God is spirit. So I'm going to make some statements here, okay? And I'm, I'm doing this... I. Hopefully you know me. I'm a joyful guy. Um, I want to be, a, I like working with people, but it's important for you to hear these statements, okay? We don't worship a man-made idol. Everybody agree with that? Like, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty easy, right? We don't worship a man-made idol. We don't worship in nonsense languages that no one understands. That's not helpful. That's not truth. It's a nonsense language that nobody understands, we don't worship a glory cloud of smoke. We don't do that in our local churches. There's no indication in God's word that we should do that in our churches. We don't come to a show to worship people on a stage. We don't put these people up on the stage so that you can see how awesome they are. These, we, when we talk with the worship team, it's service, service, service. You're here to serve. You're here to serve. Serve them. Help them sing. Help them sing. Help them sing. Your music is about their voices. It's not about your amazing electric guitar, which Ryan Whitaker, I have to hold Ryan Whitaker back. He's the guy that's back here that looks like he's going to rock your face off, right? But it, the, the joyful thing, you know what he's thinking? He's, he's been with us for a long time. He's thinking, I'm going to support the church. And, and we try to work the best we can as a worship team, we try to work together to support the voices. He could rock your face off, by the way, with a guitar, and he doesn't. Okay, so all of those things, it's idol worship. It's putting things before God. God is spirit, okay? Our God is spirit, and he's revealed understandable truth through what? Through the word, the word of Christ. So we, as a church, we read the word. We study the word. We speak the word to one another. We sing the word to one another. We remember the word through communion, and we witness the word even through baptisms. The work of the word in people's lives, we see that in baptisms. That's what we do when we get together. In worship, truth must inform our spirits. Being filled with the Spirit is being controlled by the fruit of the Spirit, which we saw causes peace among the body. Bob Coughlin, who wrote Worship Matters, says, The Holy Spirit is indeed present and at work every time the church gathers. So think about this right now, okay? Every time the church gathers, we just need to understand biblically what that means. When people grasp something of God's word, the Spirit is at work. When people are convicted of sin, the Spirit 
is at work. When people receive hope and strength in the midst of a trial, the Spirit is at work. Some people are looking for an experience at church, and they're missing what's going on by the Holy Spirit. As true believers, we've been called to worship God in spirit and truth. And there's a specific means mentioned here in Colossians 3, we get to sing. So, next point, we need to sing to one another. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The psalms, when, when this was written, the psalms were the Old Testament psalms. So they would sing these psalms. They would sing hymns, which were like praise songs or praise hymns. And they would sing spiritual songs, which had to do with like the testimony of what's going on in their lives or, or even like poetic songs. That's what they would sing with one another. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, choosing, we're choosing hymns. We're choosing new songs. We're choosing, um, we're choosing, there's, I mean, I'd love to talk to you about the, the, the places that we go for songs because there's a lot more resources that are becoming available to us. But we want to choose songs that are true. And we want to choose songs that help us sing truth to one another. Our singing is a form of teaching to one another, right? You see that in Colossians 3. Teaching and admonishing one another. In Ephesians, it's even more tied uh, to the, to in a sentence, right? That you're, you're actually, I think it says, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And what happens is we, when we sing to one another... We minister to one another. So you teach the gospel to one another when you sing. You, you admonish one another to, to have love, to put on the Spirit when you sing with one another. Um, somebody may be hurting, and when they hear you sing, it, God may use that to encourage their heart, to focus on what to be thankful for. Galatians 6.1 says, this is what we do as believers. We care for one another, right? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We care about one another, and we should care about one another even in our song. So be mindful of those around you. I already, I already brought this up, but dads, be mindful who is around you. Um, if you're in a Bible study and you know what's going on in, in somebody's life because they're, they're asking for prayer, be mind, go sing next to them. Put your arm around them. They may not, might not be able to sing that day. Go put your arm around them and sing for them. Right? Care for one another through song. I know of a pastor who stands up front and he turns around. It's kind of weird. He turns around and watches his people sing. I've actually seen Scott do this, too. I, Scott loves to see who's here, right? He wants to be encouraged. He wants to see the faces. He wants to know what's going on when we sing. Are these people being affected by the truth of what they're hearing? Are they ready to worship? When we gather together as believers in Christ, we're called to worship God by singing to one another. And we're also called to sing to God. That's the next point. We're called to sing to God. And it's with thankfulness, internal thankfulness to God for who he is and what he's done. It has a direct effect on singing. 1 Peter 2.9, we were were set apart for this, but you are chosen, right? We looked at this, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set for, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. And then look, here's here's, here's where it's coming from. 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. God is passionate about being first in our hearts, and it should have an effect outwardly. Exodus 20, and we won't read through all of it, but it's, it's, it's the Ten Commandments, right? God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the, And then go to the next. It says, you shall not make for yourself the carved image or, anything, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He wants first place in your heart. Does he have that place in your heart? Ephesians 5, going back to it, it says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of that place in your heart. And if you don't believe that, you need to ask yourself, what do you actually believe about God? Our goal when we gather together is to magnify the greatness of God by recalling who he is and what he's done. And we also sing to prepare, right? We, we, we want to we prepare our hearts to hear more of who God is and what he's done. So you're called to sing to one another, you're called to sing to God, and you and I are called to sing to worship in Jesus' name. We're called to worship in Jesus' name. This is, this is one of my most favorite passages in the whole Bible from Hebrews 10. Look at it. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God has made a way for us to approach him in confidence and it's through his son, Jesus. Our worship, whether it's in life or in talking to one another or in song, it has to be through the name of Jesus. That, that, is, that is one of the main reasons why he saved us, why he made a way. He wants us to come back and worship the Father. He wants us to come before him in confidence. You worship through singing. Your worship through singing, will, it will match your worship through your living. Think about that. You're, if you're not living a life of worship, your, your singing is going to match that. If, if you're living 25% for the Lord... I'm, I'm expecting you to sing 25% on Sundays. Everything else is just, we're making it up. They've got to match. God wants all of you. He wants your heart. Worship through your life needs to be fueled by the gospel. Turn to Ephesians 2 real quick. This is... This is when it gets a little bit scary, so I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't plan on doing this. Um, I had I had turn in the Bibles if we have time. It's Ephesians two, okay, and I want you guys to stand. 
Let's stand. Um, We're going to read from the ESV. So uh, if you're going to read aloud, which I'm going to ask you to read aloud with me from the ESV, I want you to dwell on this richly with me right now. Just, we're just going to practice right now, okay? And then, and then Shay, you know what we're going to do? We'll just go straight. to. The, I had some points. You guys have the notes that we wrote down. I'm not going to go through the points again. So um, let's do this. Sorry. Let's have the worship team come up. Worship team, come up. We're going to read this, and then we're going to respond, and then we'll dismiss you, and you guys have an awesome day. But I want you to dwell on this richly, okay? Um, dwell on this truth. This is us, right? You guys know this passage. Ephesians 2, we'll read together out loud verses 1 through 9 and (laughs) read it in a heart of worship, okay? All right, here we go, guys. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ." By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen?